You know, art, they say, imitates life. And in the arts, temptation has been a subject for as long as man has been artistic. From paintings, uh, sculptures, to novels, to poetry, temptation has been this favorite subject of artists of all kinds. <clears throat> if you're around me enough, you find out that I have a very eclectic taste in music. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> if you look through my record collection, I have Eddie Arnold, Willie Nelson, Run DMC, Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin. I listen to all sorts. And possibly nowhere is temptation more of a favorite subject than in music. Uh, Joe Cocker sang a song back in the day called Tempted by the Fruit of Another. Randy Travis sings On the Other Hand. Billy Paul sings Me and Mrs. Jones. Johnny Cash talks about the Ring of Fire. The Four Tops can't help themselves. Temptation and its pull are in the minds and hearts of men. What is it that makes temptation so tempting? What is it that makes <coughs> if Oreos are your thing? Oreos so tempting. Anybody like Oreos? I'm not an Oreo fan. Carrie is, but if she had a choice, Oreo is her go-to cookie. That's what she would get. Uh, I don't know what makes it so. It's not tempting to me, so there you go. Maybe for me, it's chicken breast steak. <laughs> Give me two fried steak and, and I'm there. What is it about these things, about the temptation? What, what pulls us to these things? What pulls us to take part in things we normally wouldn't do? In our spiritual life, how does temptation lure us to choose ourselves over God? I think understanding how temptation works can equip us to fight it. And... The best text I know of the workings of temptation is in the epistle of 1 John. John, the elder there, is talking to his church, his churches, giving them some advice on what the world looks like. And there, in the midst of this, in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15, we find this text. And it says, Do not love the world, or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in it. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the best of the words that I speak to yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you for all that you do. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his son. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to try to stay calm as I preach. Because then I have a voice. I try to use too much air, it goes away. He says, do not love the world. 
And it seems like it's almost antithetical to everything else we read in Scripture sometimes, right? Because it says, for God so loved the world. How did God love the world? And he says, do not love the world. How do we reconcile that? Well, here in this passage, world means an organized system controlled by ungodly powers that stands against the kingdom of God. The world here is the title that the elder has given to these systems that run against the things of God. When over in John chapter 3, he writes that God loves the world, he writes world in a way that means the cosmos, everything in all creation. And so there are two different verses here, two different thoughts. Here, this is about an organized system that's controlled by powers that are ungodly, that, that, that puts influence into the lives of people around them. This is the corrupted world that is turned against God. When we look at our society, it's easy to see that. When we look at our society and, and all the influences that are encroaching upon everything else, it's easy to see how it begins to slowly work its way in. One of the things that we deal with with the kids a lot is why we don't watch certain things. Why we don't take part in certain things. Or why we can be the biggest fans of shows. And then when something happens in that show, we turn it off and we quit watching it because we don't feel like it goes along with the worldview that God wants us to have anymore. Because the worldly systems, the way they work is, is through these things. It's through this very subliminal way of getting into our minds. They're the things that draw us away or stand in our way of relationship with God. Because what the worldly system loves to do is confuse us. It loves to make us think, well, it's not hurting anything. I can take part in this and still follow Jesus. I can do this and still be a good Christian. But here he comes out and he says, what? Don't love the things of the world which are not by nature godly. <clears throat> Don't love the things that belong to the world. Why? Well, because if they belong to the world, they're not belonging to God. They're not things that God wants us to, to put our attention on. We're told in Paul's epistles to, to focus on things that are above. You know, there are, there are ministries out there who their entire ministry is to love on the people in the adult entertainment industry. And it takes a very special person because they're going into this to love the people apart from the industry. It's hard to do. With our own kids and your children, you can love your children but you may not love the things that they're involved in. You know, it's so often we, <clears throat> we see a parent at, at, the, at the end of the road because their kids are in a place they don't want their kids to be, and they love their kids, but they don't love where their kids are. They don't love the choice that kid has made. They don't love where they found themselves. Because this passage says it's actually impossible to love God in the worldly system. It's impossible. You can't do both. You can't love God and love the things of the world. 
Now, how many of us try to do that, though? We try to love God. I'm going to love God, but I love this, too. And I don't know that I can give this up. Worldly systems always run counter to God's kingdom. Always. There's always something in there. They may go just a little ways. There's a little bit of, little bit of, little bit of truth mixed in with a whole bunch of other things. In, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, talking about treasure, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you're devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's put it in simple terms. You can't be a Lapan Indian and a Grateford Jack. I had to reach out for that metaphor. I got a lot more than I expected, but um, <coughs> you can't be both. You have to choose a side. You have to take a stand. And the same thing happens in the world. You cannot say, I love Jesus, I love God, but I also love these things that are by nature not godly. And the first step to understanding temptation is understanding the things of the worldly system are not the things of the kingdom. No matter how much the kingdom is our goal and the world wants to set itself up to look like the kingdom, it is not the kingdom. There are people who do lots of good works in the world who are going to hell. Because good works doesn't get them to heaven. This, this morning's Bible reading that if you listen to it, I didn't read it. Uh, it was the computer voice. But it started by saying this. Not every good idea is a God idea. The world wants us to equate good idea with God idea. Wants us to think that, well, this is a good idea. This is, this is something that needs to be done. This, well, if I take this stand, if I call this sin, it's going to hurt this person. So I shouldn't call this sin anymore because I don't want to hurt this person. But when we quit calling this sin, so we understand this person, all of a sudden people start thinking, well, maybe this isn't sin. And so then we start saying, well, maybe that's accepted. And all of a sudden the world begins to change because we change things. We have to understand that the things of the worldly system are not the things of the kingdom. Things that belong to the world are the world's. <laughs> Temptation works through the things that belong to the world. The first one is the lust of the flesh. That's what he says. It's this doesn't make me feel good stuff. That's the lust of the flesh. And that's the one that we, that we define most easily most of the time because it's where we get sexual desire. You know, Charles said I talked last week about the things that happen. It's drunkenness. It's, that, it's, the, it's the overeating. It's the things we do. Galatians 5, 19 and 21 says the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Those are all this, this, this thing that's easily seen. Does it make me feel good? The lust of the flesh is the pull towards something the world tells me will make me feel good, even if it doesn't honor God. <clears throat> the world says, but you'll feel better. Yeah, I try not to get political as well. Uh, 
I think we're like one of only six states where marijuana is still illegal. I found out on spring break that it's now legal in Oklahoma. Visited with Nixter that morning and he told me three weeks before they had had a family event, a marijuana festival. <laughs> properties to some of the compounds within marijuana. But you don't have to smoke marijuana to get That's where the lines begin to get blurred, right? That's where things begin to happen. It's, it's this idea there's a little truth here and it'll make you feel good. It's the cheap way to get what you need. It'll make you feel good. Just go up there and buy you some skunkweed. That's what they call it now. Because it smells like skunk now. I know all the hippies out there. It didn't smell like skunk back when I was in high school. It smells like skunk now. But <laughs> go up there and buy it. It's cheaper. You don't need a prescription. And you get them effect. That's the world talking. That's the world pulling things out. That's the world saying these things and saying, hey, it'll make you feel good. Lust of the flesh. Also the lust of the eyes it talks about doesn't look good. Now this one's pretty easy when we think about it in our world, pornography, lust. Those are the first two to come to mind, right? Our kids <coughs> are living in a world that we never would have imagined when I was in elementary school. <laughs> I think the latest research shows that children are exposed to pornography by the age of eight or nine because of the computer. <clears throat> and, and we're not talking Showtime, Skinamax type things. We're talking tough stuff. And that does something to your brain. It does something to your wiring. The lust of the eyes doesn't does it, does it look good. There's also coveting someone's stuff. You ever done that? Man, that sure is a nice car. Wish I had one of those. Man, that sure is a nice house. I wish I had one of those. Maybe coveting someone's reputation. Job in chapter 31 of his book says, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I look at a young woman? For what portion would I have from God above or what inheritance from the Almighty on high? Job recognized the idea of temptation. He knew that there was this temptation out there that he had to war against. And sometimes we don't talk about it enough in church. We don't talk about that temptation because it's there. Or we talk about it very one-sided as a very male-only thing. <coughs> but, but, you know, I know a lot of shopaholic women who don't need to go in a store because when they see something, they want to buy it. I mean, that's just the truth. That's the lust of the eyes, right? Hey, it looks good. How many, I'm not picking on how many in trouble. How many women will walk to a store and they'll see a purse they like and they'll pick it up and they'll walk to the mirror? Oh, see, everyone, you're going, yep, 
the lust of the eyes, I'm looking, does it look good? Does it look good on me? It's part of this. It's part of what's going on. The lust of the eyes is the pull towards something that's appealing visually in a way that does not honor God. <clears throat> Here's the thing. God created sexuality. And God wouldn't have created women beautiful if he wanted us to never look at a woman. I got to go, show your step. No, no, no. He wouldn't have created women beautiful if he didn't want us to look at a woman. But he doesn't want us to look at women in a way that does not honor him. There's a difference. There's a difference between object and equal. There's a difference. And God has called us to look at women as treasures and as his creation, not as something created for us. And that's where the line begins to get blurred, especially in our world. But the lust of the eyes there is that pull towards something that's visually appealing in a way that doesn't honor God. It says, no, God would say, don't do that. And we're going, well. And then, you know, that final one, the pride of one's lifestyle, does it make me look good? Does it make me look good? The desire for pats on the back, even if we don't deserve it. The desire for more power and excess. The desire to be greater than those around us. <clears throat> the desire to have more and be seen as desirable by everyone around you. The desire to be your own ruler. It's the sin of the ruler or Lucifer in Isaiah 14, where he says, I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. It's that puffed up ego. The pride of one's lifestyle is the pull towards making yourself the greatest of anyone around you, including God. That's the pride of one's lifestyle. I'm the best. You ever know anybody like that? Just the best at everything? They can never do anything wrong? It's a song, you know. A song back in that series. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. But you're perfect in every way. <laughs> Can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. My dad used to walk around the house singing that song. He's a crazy man. It's the pride of one's life to make myself better than anybody else. Jesus in Mark 9 says, What? If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. <clears throat> the second step in understanding temptation is understand that you're going to be tempted in these ways. These are the ways the world tempts you. These really, honestly, in the end, are the only three ways we're tempted. Everything else falls under these three. These are the ways we're tempted. Does it look good? Does it make me feel good? Does it make me look good? Those are the exact temptations from the fall to last week in the garden. They walk up to the fruit and she sees that it looks good. She sees that it's desirable to eat. And it will make her like God. All three of those wrapped up in that one little fruit. That's the temptation. That's how we're going to be tempted. If we understand this is how God, this is how God wants us to know to be protected. Because if we know these things, we can stand against them. But if we're standing here going, well, I don't know how Satan's going to come at me today. Because you never know. I know how he's going to come at me. 
It's going to be through my eyes. It's going to become through my reputation. It's going to come from these three things. This is how God, this is how Satan works. In the end, though, he says, the worldly systems will someday be destroyed. The world is passing away. <clears throat> but the way of the kingdom of God is eternal. The third step in understanding temptation is knowing that the pleasure of temptation is temporary, but the blessings of God are eternal. The question we always have to ask, would we be willing to give away our eternity for the momentary pleasure I'm going to get from this? What's worth more? We don't... We don't think about the fact that the pleasures of this world go away like that. Think about your last vacation. You saved up, you planned, you took off, you went. Then a week later you got back and what? You're probably already tired right from vacation. You need another one. Because it lasted while you were there. Once you were gone, it wasn't there anymore. That's our life. When we give in to temptation, it'll feel good for a minute. We always have to chase after more. We always have to chase after more. You ever realize that? I gotta have more of what looks good. I've got to have more of what makes me feel good. I've got to have more of what makes me look good to everybody else. You ever known somebody who came into power, who stopped at a point where they had enough power? Look back through history. Hitler started as just a local leader somewhere, right? And he kept going for more power and more power and more power. That's how it works. You ask anybody who struggles with addiction of any kind, and you always need more. Because what you used to take doesn't affect you the way it used to affect you. And now you need more. And it's, I'm not even talking, just talking about drugs, I'm talking about chocolate. Got a lot of chocolate probably in here, right? <laughs> you know, used to that little 100 calorie thing of MMs would do good, good for me, but I need that king size share size now because that's not doing it anymore. We always need more. That's the way sin works. When we fall into temptation, we always need more. It never stops. But God is eternal. And if we stop and rest in God, we don't need more and more and more because God gives us what we need. And He fills us with what we need. And we can rest in that. And that's just a wonderful blessing that we can have. Maybe this morning, maybe you've been struggling with temptation in a way that you never imagined. Because it is easy in this world to be tempted on every side. I mean, we don't even have TV in our house. We stream things, and we still have to edit the commercials. Because there's just things in them. 
that begin a cycle of temptation we don't want to begin in our house. Our world is built to throw temptation at us all the time. Maybe you're struggling this morning. Today I hope you, you receive some tools. Maybe you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve missions or ministry. <clears throat> maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning, maybe you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never had the power to stand against temptation. Because if you're doing it without Jesus, you don't have the power. You can have these tools, and you have no way of using them. It's like having a weed eater but no gas. It doesn't work. You ever tried to chop weeds when you can't turn the weed eater on? It's not going to happen. You can't send it to temptation without the Spirit. Now's the time to know Jesus. But wherever you're at this morning, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray with you. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you and praise you for your blessing.